Welcome. You are listening to Nard Bites, a Dungeons and Dragons show where we discuss various topics about D&D and all other TTRPGs. Enter at your own risk, but beware, things may get Welcome back to another Nardbite uh, for the podcast. It is I, Grognard, the young, the young Grognard, and I'm kicking it to you with a very interesting episode where we're talking about class, social class. We're talking about being poor. That's the not what we're talking about. We are talking about eating the rich. No, we're not. We're talking about classes in D&D, more specifically the fifth edition of the game. Uh, this is, episode is going to be a little bit different than the way we usually do it. And instead, what we're going to talk about is uh, a class that we would take from the fifth edition base, you know, core class list, sort of like the, uh, the ones you'd find in the player's handbook. Not all the bonuses, not all the tag ons and add ins. And we want to see which one you'd get rid of and why, and then talk about which class you'd like to add to that core list and why. Uh, I'm joined here by Anthony, Ryan, and Jared. Uh, gotta not gonna lie to you, Jared. Every single time I go to say your name, I want to say Jarzak. It's just that close. And every time I think of Anton, I want to say Anthony instead. But this is why we pick. You're welcome. You know, names that are close enough. We do this for you. I hope so. So uh, I don't know who wants to start us off. Should we roll for initiative or something like that? I don't know if anybody's, you know, chomping at the bit with something. Yeah, no. Let's let's go. Let's roll. Let's roll for it. All right, each one of these boys. I don't know who doesn't have their dice with them. I figure everybody does. I got a 15 on the Anish. Uh, I got a one. I'm going last. Oh, geez. I thought I was going last with a three. <laughs> What'd you get, Ryan? I have to get the dice roller. I haven't rolled a physical dice in probably like a year and a half. Ooh. Get on my level. Yeah, that's... Pack those bad boys up for when we can game in person again. You know, that that hurts, but I respect it. Yeah. I got a 16. Okay, so you actually get to go first. So who are you getting rid I'm of? I'm going to hold my uh, action. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, yeah. <laughs> Anthony's up. <laughs> I mean, if you want, I can go first. No, I got it. Um, So for me, I think... The class I would probably swap out of the player's handbook is going to be the ranger. Uh, the base ranger just was kind of weak all around in its delivery of the fantasy of the class, I felt like. Um, and instead, I would sub in a class sort of... Uh, I, I'm thinking of call, calling it the uh, bounty hunter, and it would be... Uh, one of those classes like Sorcerer or I believe um, Warlock where you sort of pick your subclass right at level one. And the two subclasses that I would include would be uh, either Manhunter or Monster Hunter. And they would, you know, be appropriately, one would be more focused on uh, hunting bounties on actual humanoids and bipedal intelligent creatures and the other one would be about hunting monsters and more esoteric creatures and stuff like that like aberrations and monstrosities and griffins griffins oh well i didn't like that but 
So I, I guess just because from my point of view, just because I know you and Jared talked about these, so you guys are going to have a much more nuanced understanding of the difference between them. But like from my point of view, looking in, when you mention these two things, this kind of sounds like it could be solved with just a new subclass. So like, what is like the big difference between the Ranger and the Bounty Hunter? Like, what are you, what are you accomplishing with that that you're not already accomplishing with the Ranger? I'm not trying to like, you know. No, no, no. So um, going into it, I would say, um off sort of cribbing off of the warlock where they have their patron but then also they're packed uh at some point while playing the bounty hunter you would sort of pick um a specialization to pick up where it would either be like tools traps or um fuck i had a third one i forgot it uh it wasn't poisons but something like that but yeah so if you say you took tools and you would get tool proficiencies and special like snares and that sort of stuff that would be specific for whether you were trying to track down people or monsters and that sort of stuff and you only this class would sort of have access to those proficiencies and they would do special things in and out of combat um I also would say that uh, it wouldn't be a half caster like the ranger. It would be a much more martial class. Um, and so it would be either strength or dex for your weapon. Um, but I would say that it would probably, depending on the subclass you picked, and uh, if you went like tools, traps, or third thing I forgot, you could either do uh more wisdom heavy intelligence heavy or charisma heavy so if you were like a charisma heavy manhunter you would be pretty good at going into places getting information uh finding people and getting stuff that you wanted where if you were more of a wisdom heavy monster hunter you would be better at the whole tracking aspects and um sort of understanding uh layers and when the best time to strike is i would say even like something that uh high level bounty hunters could have is maybe negating a layer effect maybe once or twice or based on proficiency per day or long rest something like that something that like gives you a bit more battlefield control because you understand the thing that you're fighting so much more that of course you understand how it's layers going to work and would come prepared in your own way for that. That's so definitely, that's definitely an interesting mechanic that I've, I've never heard of anything that kind of affects that side of it. And yeah. I think, I think be, definitely pushing more into like what you can do against large or imposing enemies that like have their own setup that you are definitely going into their turf and you're more prepared than anyone else for that. So you're kind of, it almost, if I can try to kind of like bookend what you're saying here and try to, I guess, you know, sum it up to, to uh, some of its more simpler components here. It almost feels like you're taking the Ranger idea and taking away the range itself and instead just making it all about one target. So it's like taking the Ranger and simplifying it down and like taking that simplification and digging into the nuances of a preferred enemy. So it's like right. the idea that like, yo, I as a ranger, I got my preferred land and I like hunting monsters, but you're like, no, 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 fuck the land. It's literally all about the monster itself. Your ability to navigate terrain is just because of your knowledge of the foe. Right. 
So, I mean, that's an interesting take on that. Um, uh, does anybody have any points I want to make about that? I don't know if you and Jared were tag teaming that concept of a, of a class, but. No, probably more so tag teaming what I'm going to be bringing up just because, uh, yeah, Ryan had a lot to say about all of it. But uh, I think that like with the bounty hunter thing, I think it'd be cool to, I know they had like called shots back in the day to do kind of something like that for them where they could like once a day or something do like a called shot on a monster they really know where it's like i know that's a weak point you know sure no and i think that anything that adds in a newer kind of mechanic is good for me because i think the problem a lot of times with new content that they add to the game is they like just regurgitate somebody else's class bonus or something or like a class mechanic and they just add it to somebody else like originally fighters having the the what's it called the weapon mastery or whatever it's called the the you know i'm talking about the tactics dice that they got there the fact that like now everybody gets those things it just feels like you had a good concept for how fighters could be differentiated from everybody else and then just now everybody's a battle master in their own respect and like i think any class that can take a concept a mechanic and like put it into the game fresh is a good class in my book. I think that that's the side of content that I want to see rather than content like, now we made a weirder kind of wizard that you've never thought about and have absolutely no use for. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, and I, I also do agree with Ryan about the removal of Ranger because it's just like, uh, it being a half caster, it's kind of gimped to like do good spells and all that. But it's also weaker than a fighter with its actual bow and it's like a fighter should not be outdoing a ranger with a bow yeah (laughs) they do so well and that's the that's the funny part about having like a class like the ranger is when it's not really so clearly laid out what the class is designed to be doing then it's kind of hard to i don't know to, to argue it against all the others when other classes do better with output and that kind of aspect. But again, it's like if a ranger is supposed to be just a master of terrains, then it's like, yeah, I mean, nobody really beats the master of terrains in which that sense, also, other than a druid once they get to a certain level. Yeah, kind which, of make, yeah. Even for a ranger, I feel like that does not come up nearly as often, which is why I kind of like the whole monster versus humanoid thing yeah. and that just being your split because it's like, a more urban focused game where you're doing stuff in a lot of towns it's like yeah you go humanoid and you just deal with that or yeah no i mean we were talking about that uh just before you joined in the in the waiting room there but we talked oh, okay. about how in in 3.5 there was the bloodhound prestige class which its whole thing was just hunting people and like you know wanted posters are us but all right so just to keep this ball moving i'm gonna jump in because i'm second in initiative order as it were and the class that I would get rid of right off the top is the monk. I just feel like as far as classes go, it's the one that even Gary Gygax said in the beginning, one, he also didn't like the idea of people playing more classes than the base four and thought anything added on was kind of like, eh. But the monk was the one that he was just like, what the fuck is this about? Especially when you like look historically at how a monk started it is the most confusing pile of weird rules and like it's the most expensive class to play as it has the least health per pound it does like multiple hits but all of them are worse than any other classes punching so it's like what is this concept and it's like i like the idea of having a martial artist that fights in that way but i also feel like what would have worked better than just having a monk class in general 
is to just take the concept of like grappling or fighting and break it into a more complex way. So instead of having it be like, I don't know, grapple basically just removes somebody's movement speed to zero. If you just took the idea of like combat maneuvers from earlier editions and just kind of built upon that, it made it so that your fighter could wrestle people or everybody could brawl and there was special effects for disarming and moves like that. I think you wouldn't really need the concept of the monk. And I feel like as far as how the game typically starts off at that European centralized, you know, style of fantasy, the monk just feels so strangely tacked on in a way that's like trying to cover its ass. Like, Hey, there's also Eastern fantasy and like, we have, a, we have a monk. So here you go. And I think you really did uh, hit on. I just, the name of the class itself sort of <laughs> takes away from what the class could be about. Like if, if it, they called the monk Marsh, like martial artists instead, I feel like, just starting there, you would get a whole different skew that could play a lot more fun than the monk itself, right? Which it, tries to do so many things and really doesn't capitalize on any of them. No, to the point that, like, and I think you can almost measure how poor a class is designed by how wildly springing at the seams like its subclasses are. Mm -hmm. The subclasses are so unbelievably different from one another, apart from having a dice mechanic that they all share in common. I feel like that says something about how broad the class is in general and how that's kind of like, eh, you know? And I just feel like if you wanted to make a whole supplement book that handled appropriately without being, you know, a bunch of white guys in a development room being like, let's do Kung Fu classes. Like, do do justice to the concept of of that stuff you know what i mean let's not dive into the oriental adventures stuff and all the bukhara or whatever the heck that campaign setting was called but like do it justice you know what i mean don't tack it on and be like kind of bland about it you know but as far as a class that i would uh actually add on to the game this is gonna kind of shoot from a very different angle here but again i like to think that like because players approach the system through the lens of a character and most people when they interact with the game it's through their gameplay i like the idea that having new classes can sort of add more to the game as a whole and having new classes could add more like depth to how the game functions and for that reason, one thing that when I was trying to come up with a new class that kept bothering me was that it always came back to combat and always came back to combat mechanics. And I kind of think that one thing that the systems have always missed out on is having a generally non-combative character class or having one that like doesn't have to be combative. And I think about how in like, you know, 3.5 again, the difference between basic attack bonuses for certain classes and how some were meant to do fighting and other ones were just so handicapped in that sense that they just did not have great stats for getting into combat, but they made up for it usually with having great skills and abilities. And I like thinking that you could create a class called like the expert or like something like that, that just their whole function and purpose is that they're really, really good at some array of skills. And this is where you'd have things like the thief acrobat could come into place. You would have somebody who's just amazingly athletic, acrobatic, great at tying things, balance and all that stuff, and just give them all the bonuses to being good at that stuff. You could have somebody who's great with medicine and knowledge and just have them be like, 
the fucking librarian better. and just have them be the knowledge hound and have that be their whole character concept. You could even go deeper with that and have like the locksmith trapsmith and have somebody who's just all about mechanical stuff. It's not like this doesn't exist in how we approach the game. It just feels like even when people try to use like toolkits in gameplay, it always feels like people don't know how to approach how you actually use fucking thieves tools. And instead you had to like read the book to see that it's basically an ability check that you add the proficiency modifier if you're proficient when using the skill. But like, where is that in writing, you know? But if you made a whole class concept around like specialists, like an alchemist, have rules for alchemy, you somebody who can just kind of generally is so good at what they do, you know what I'm saying? And obviously this is kind of a half-baked idea, but like, you know, I mean, we already have rules for like uh, jack of all trades and stuff like that. Your expert could just generally be good at most things because they're good at, you know, using all kinds of skills, but then have their specialist skills and have like all the different avenues you can go with that rather than have to create feats that accomplish that and tack that on instead. Why not just have a chef, have a guy whose whole thing is that he's super good at herbalism and cooking. And that's his big thing, you know? He travels the world and follows the party for storyline reasons. And he's, you know, maybe a friend of the party or a sibling or something like that. But combat's not his thing. You know what I mean? And I just don't think that that's so far out of the realm of like literature or movies or any of these things where we know those characters exist, you know? But either way, I don't know if you guys had any points to add to that. Someone's got to give the food buff to the party, so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it adds so much to storyline too. And I just, I don't know. And I, it so would the, be nice to have actual rules for how toolkits work and what you can do with them rather yeah. than just like a general idea of like, oh, here's a toolkit. Uh, what can I do with it? I, I don't know. Well, but I mean, maybe that's just my old school talking, you know, in the, like in 3.5 right. where every having had, like, a whole state <laughs> devoted to what you can do with it and right. what that actually means in the game. See, but like so. if you if you remember from Xanathar's, I think it's Xanathar's, there's a whole section where they explain examples of how to use the toolkits and example DCs and purposes. But like, mm-hmm. why did that have yeah, to come yeah, out five years after? Then. Like, yeah, why did that? I don't find the rules for toolkits and Xanathar's to be especially useful. Sure. I mean, it's nice that it helps a DM think of ways to like help players implement it. But I just, I don't know. I feel like toolkits and stuff just feel like an afterthought. Whereas if you made it a whole class feature and you could have subclasses based off it, it, I don't know. I think it could be cool. Imagine like, again, like the merchant subclass. How often do people have to go to market? How often do you have to do deals? How often do you have to do the hard talk, good cop, bad cop? I feel like a merchant, like the world's greatest merchant, makes for a pretty interesting character rather than say like, oh, he's a sorcerer with really good charisma and he's like the greatest merchant ever. Like, it feels like you know the part you're most excited about with that character. Like, let's lay into that with an expert class, you know? Yeah, I mean, I will say, if we look at the class list, the actual classes that are also, like, capital J jobs that real people could have and make a living off of, like, the biggest one is Bard. Like, bar being a Bard is an actual job. Sure. Um, and then I would say maybe Cleric as well and ranger or monk are about the only three four that like you could be considered a ranger and not be the ranger class you could be a bard and not be the bard class which you you know that's the Mario argument from order of the stick where it's like the player is a paladin but they call themselves in game a, a samurai and the people at the table just have no ability to handle this conundrum of being like 
I'm not going to refer to you as the samurai because on your sheet it says paladin. And it's like, yeah, but like, guys, I'm the samurai. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and I just, I, that's why as a DM, I love when players like don't approach their characters using a class title. Like, hi, my name is, I don't know, Murloc, the fucking fighter. Like, no, call yourself a mercenary, man. Like, call yourself a sword seller. Like, I don't know, fucking anything other than fighter. Like, I just... And that's why I think having the expert class is like a neat catch-all because it's like, I don't know, there are people who would join a party that they're not in their swinging swords. Like they're there for the ride and they're there to help. But like not everybody has to fucking punch things in the face, you know? Yeah, true. But, Some of the swing axes. But um, all right, I will say <laughs> when I was thinking up stuff, a lot of the stuff I was thinking up was in that vein as well for non-combat classes like specifically alchemist and merchant always come to mind to me i mean when you see some of those stranger like jrpgs and stuff where there's like 70 classes total i'm always drawn to the ones that are like well that shouldn't work and it's like well my party is gonna be a merchant an alchemist a chronomancer and uh for good measure whatever a death whisperer is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it, well and that's the thing is i think that we've got so dancer many... dancer is always a great one yeah i was just about to bring up the dancer yeah that's and that's fucking... the thing is i think we've all kind of hit that point with gaming where we all like to have content and more ideas and stuff but i think that the the expert just is such a catch-all that like i don't know backgrounds only do so much for every character we address everybody had a job before they're chopping the heads off of goblins well, to... but what to add on to that, like expert essentially would be the class, and then the, like those suggestions Ryan said, like alchemist and all that would just be subclasses of it, right? And it, like yeah. you'd have so many choices, right? But that almost feels problematic because if your class, like I was saying before, can be so varied, where you have the difference between an alchemist and some other way far off idea, like it starts to feel like that class isn't honed in enough and it's too broad. But I still think that the the concept of having a class that's just like I don't know, you sit down at the gaming table and you're like, I'm not here to be in the combat. I'm here to buff everybody with my weird special ability. But every time I think about one of those expert subclasses hitting 20th level, I think about a campaign that's been derailed by your obsession with your one area of skill focus. Like imagine playing with a 20th level merchant. <laughs> like imagine the hijinks that would have come out of that. Like, like you literally sold the chewed bubblegum all the way up to buying a kingdom through bartering, right? Like you we now own that. this kingdom. <laughs> I mean, the player character has like six different spreadsheets tracking income in 30 different <laughs> kingdoms. They've got, they own multiple caravans. They're collecting tariffs. It's like, dog, you have like a full-time job. You can't uh, come adventure. Like uh, you, uh, you need to delegate. After 10th level, they just, they need to start going to actual school for like accounting or finance. (laughs) Their associate's degree will get them to 12th level. (laughs) I mean, you can picture perks for having followers as an expert too. You literally have like your own mobile guild hall. Like you're just literally so good at what you do that you train trainees to follow you around to like, you know, literally help you out with trading and stuff. You show up at a town and you like set up a whole shop. Who fucking in like I own my own store, man. I like I pull up the town with my stall, you know. But I don't know. I, I just think that that could be an interesting area for the game to take up. Where again, I just every time you look at like being a dungeon master, everything's so well marked by combat encounters, and then you fill in the the skill stuff and conversation for texture and for flavor. But it's like 
nah, man, just fuck that meat part of it. Just get right to the spices. Just got to have right a, a non-combat campaign. You know, again, I'm not saying it's a good idea, but I'm just saying that like... Or a light combat campaign, you know? Like, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Like for me, now I'm imagining a campaign that's basically like uh, the Spice and Wolf show where one of the characters is a merchant expert and the other one is a scholar. It's like thinking about the freaking the Wolf of Wall Street as an RPG. Like it's, it's just like stonks. Like that's just the game. But, you know. I will I, say, I think they're doing a non combat campaign on Dimension 20 right now. At least there hasn't been a combat in the first three out of the six episodes of the side series, which is a murder mystery which thing. Again, you know, in the same vein, sort of the same kind of concept of having, like, if your character class is so broad that these two things kind of feel like it, you know, it feels like the class doesn't belong. If you're playing D&D and you're having to find a way to get away from combat because how much the game fixates on combat, maybe you should just play a different system. You know what I mean? If we're, like, over here, like, how can we stop being in combat all the time? It's like, maybe we just play a system that doesn't need combat all the time. You know what I mean? which is, I think, one of the problems with Dungeons & Dragons in the first place is that it's, like, so synonymous with RPGs that people don't feel like they have the ability just to crack open another book and go play it. And instead, they're like, how can I mutate D&D to the point it's irrecognizable and then play that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you could just pay 20 bucks and get a different fucking book. Yeah, I know, right? There's a million other great RPGs out there. But, you know, I mean, people like what they like, so I'm not going to fight it. But anyway, who was next in initiative? That's me. All right. Uh, so, honestly, probably would top pick for getting rid of would have probably been Ranger. And then Monk is another in my top three, and Paladin's the other. Pretty much all the half-caster type. Dang, you'd get rid of the Paladin? Well, so, essentially back when the early days when like a paladin had to be like good and noble and all that and it's like now it can just do whatever and it's like other people can just do it better i have never agreed with you more about (laughs) about something like getting rid of the paladin until you said what you did at first i was like do you understand the flavor of the paladin then you're like yeah but that doesn't matter anymore and i'm like you know yeah it doesn't so like at that point it's like play a cleric or a fighter or like it's like uh, multi-class into both yeah yeah essentially is all it is and you'd still be a half caster then (laughs) which you know i I kind of feel like we're brushing back to that concept that people want rigidity i think people genuinely don't like ambiguity and they like to make these hard choices based on what they want you know what i mean I don't know. And when you have ambiguous classes with paladins that don't have to follow the fucking rules, then why are you playing a paladin? But out of those three paladins, paladins don't even have to worship gods anymore. Yeah. I follow a concept. What concept? Civics. I don't know. Fucking <laughs> mercantilism. It, sa- it, sa- it says my thing in the book. Like, okay, but what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, but out of those three, at least paladin. It has decent damage output and stuff too. So for combat, it's okay. It's just, it, it could be better. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And then, but yeah, for the flavor of it and stuff, it's just like, I, there's, I don't see the point of it anymore. It, yeah, so long as we're just kind of giving up on those rules. It's kind of like how monks used to have to be lawful and, and you know, bards had to be chaotic. Barbarians had to be illiterate and chaotic. And it's like, I think they're still illiterate now, right? No, 
Not by Raw. Oh, okay. Which I was going to say, if they for some reason kept illiteracy but nothing else, I'd be like, all right, why do you hate barbarians? Like, you don't let them be ranged and angry, and now you say that they can read. Like, what? what I'm magic? so glad somebody else is bothered by the fact that you are not allowed to play a Dex Barbarian. I'm only I'm only secondhand mad about it because every time the word barbarian comes up, you mention this argument about how they mix rage. And so I'm like, I just foresaw it coming as soon as I said barbarian. But yeah, I it, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I would play Dex Bard if or barbarian if I could. I mean, it makes I like trying sense, different things. Either way, that's like how in 3.5 there's a feat. Uh, what was it called? It was a. Um, Oh, fuck. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was one where you could make ranged attacks with your wisdom modifier instead because you were just using focus instead of accuracy. And I'm like, that's fucking neat, you know, being an archer who fires with wisdom instead. Fucking close your eyes and shoot, man. Like, I don't know. That's fucking dope, right? But, okay. And sorry, what were you going to add? So, what I was going to add, you know, get rid of the three half casters and added new half caster one you like cut half the book out yeah yeah but then a uh, shaman would be what i add which would be it's kind of like a halfway warcraft, between like a warcraft flavored shaman or kind of it'd be like halfway between a druid and a barbarian so you'd have like sort of like half rages and stuff like some benefits from that and then as well as like elemental abilities but it'd be more like instead of the other half casters where they just like they buff their weapon for one turn and it does good damage or they can do one attack it's like it would be like a ongoing probably concentration based buffs for melee attacks you know you're gonna hate me for saying it anthony are you thinking of the exact same class from 3.5 that i'm thinking of right now the spirit shaman i'm thinking of the dragon shaman and how it's a sort of martial character that had D10 health like a fighter. They couldn't wear heavy armors, but they could wear hide and all that junk. They yeah. had like a aura effect that they got. And every so often they get a new aura and that aura bonus would change based on like every five levels. But like one of them was like everybody in the team gets a static bonus to their AC. So long as they're within 60 feet of you in your totem. And it's like, you got dragon based abilities every once in a while, you picked one dragon to sort of worship. And I'm like, it kind of just sounds like the dragon shaman a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've never heard of it, but yeah. Well, that's the thing is it's one of those things. It's like, it's in the second player's handbook for 3.5. So people didn't really deal with it. But I mean, in the time me and Anthony have played that edition, I've, I've dealt with like, yeah, we, we've had a player play a dragon shaman for think, like, many years. Level, 50th level. She had a, she had like a, an entire following of like people who would follow around. Cause she took the followers uh, feet there that everybody says broken yeah, but it's like she was a tribal leader and she had a pet dragon from the uh, dragon that ran her tribe that died and she was like the last one left she was starting her own tribe and it's like she was following the spirits of the dragons man and yeah, I'm like, I, I agree they make for a wicked cool class and they have a really neat feel because they're almost like a bard and a druid in that sense of like team buff and being there as an ally and providing the bonuses but yeah, yeah but I, feel, I feel like as half casters because the current one's aren't really like that where they do more like longer lasting buffs sure i feel like that's way more beneficial because your your spells are not going to be up to par with full spell casters and your martial ability is not going to be up to par with full martial classes so it's like you 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 need to get there somehow and that's going to be through 
buffs. Sure. No, I agree. And that's why I'm like, I didn't mean to derail it with that dragon shaman thing. Oh, no, no, no. Like, dragon shamans are dope. Like, I was thinking about them on the, on the, I was driving home before we recorded this, and I'm like, I kind of miss dragon shaman a lot. Because again, like, you got like cool little bonuses depending on like what spirit you worship. So, like, our dragon shaman was able to do spider climb because she followed, uh, was it brass? No, bronze. Bronze? Copper? What dragon? I remember it was the one who liked jokes and wordplay. Yeah. But anyway, the point was is that it's like you got special perks. Like if you followed white dragons, you could perfectly walk in the cold. You had no problem with that. You never slipped on ice. So it's like having a shaman have like, you know, that same general concept of like worshiping some style of element could be cool for some yeah, classes. Yeah, attuned to a certain element. Or it could be like spirit shaman. You could be a dragon shaman. You could be an element shaman and have it be like different styles with which you do buffs or debuffs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I think there's a lot of room for that. And I think it would be cool to have something in that same vein. But all right, um, Anthony, you're last in initiative. Are you ready to crush it? I am ready. Uh, but I, this, uh, some of my stuff is probably going to sound really redundant by this you know, um, but, we address that. So, so I would lose the warlock, right? Because again, maybe this is just my like you know old school talking again. The warlock always felt kind of like one of the advanced classes to me, yeah. right? It's something that you tack on to the end of a party when you have a fifth player, and it's somebody who you know delved into the other books and sort of uh, uh, you know found something that was kind of specific and didn't really have its own niche but it also did i don't know warlocks seem extra to me uh, especially because their major differentiation between them and like the sorcerer or like the wizard comes in role play and you know not to knock down any other gms or anything but i feel i feel like it's rare to come across somebody who runs a warlock in a way that they really need to be um, kind of like how we so, do it with Jarzak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, painfully Jarzak. apparent that there's a patron and that there's painfully yeah. apparently like a, a relationship there. Yeah, Jarzak is absolutely one of the good examples of running a warlock. Um, so yeah, so dish the warlock and replace it with um, a class that was, I think it was called the Marshal in 3.5 and the Warlord in the fourth. Yeah, yeah the Warlord, man. non-caster support character. And, you know, it's sort of going to lean in everything that we just said about Dragon Shop, right? You know, where it's all about, you know, you've got some martial abilities and you're able to buff the party, uh, you know, debuff the enemy. You know, maybe throw in something like, you know, the Knight's Nightly Challenges from 3.5. Sure. Yeah, you know, just something that's going to be a little bit different, but also not magical. Yeah. Uh, And very specifically not magical. Right, rather than have to, like, it, it almost reminds me of how Samurai had certain abilities that were not magical in, like, 3.5 as well, where you could, like, intimidate with an attack, and your first attack did more damage, because you're doing, like, the, you know... Yeah, you know, that's yeah magic. The, the draw. I don't know what it's right. called in Japanese, but, but I know what you're talking about. Right, but the point is, is that it's not magical, but it's definitely a class-flavored thing, and it doesn't feel like you just took somebody else's class component and reskinned it. But yeah, no, I, I think that you two bring up that good point of having like a three quarters of a martial character with that nice quarter of buff and like not magical, but like special power that they bring to the party to help everybody else or themselves or whatever. And, yeah, I, I, and I also kind of want to throw in like, um, uh, you know, some shades of like the, the rocker boy from Cyberpunk 2020, you know, the weakest class, 
but their major claim to fame is that they're really good at being a face to crowds, right? You know, you think of the face as, you know, somebody, you know, you deal for the party, you know, one-on-one, but, you know, how often does a D&D party, you know, have to maybe sway a courtroom or, you know, uh, inspire, you know, inspire a whole big group of allies, or, or somebody gets accused of murder and the whole town comes to burn down your house or the inn where you're staying and you go outside and you're like, yeah, exactly. hey, <laughs> yeah you know, be, being able to, you know, work with crowds and be the face on that level as one of the class's major, you know, standout abilities would be really interesting. I could, I could literally see that in print in a book where it comes up as like, oh, at third level, you can choose to be this side of the marshal and you get this ability where you're like leader of the charge and Every time you're doing a social check for multiple people, you get to add twice your. Per- I can see that, right? But yeah, there, there's a lot of opportunities, I think, for good ribbon abilities. Because we brought up the ranger earlier. And I think one of the big reasons why a lot of people don't like the ranger is, first of all, it doesn't really add anything to the game. It takes things away, I, I think, in a lot of senses. Well, like tracking. And that, yeah, well, you know, not, not just with tracking. It's like, oh man, as long as you're in your favorite terrain, which they don't really define. Oh, you know, what's the difference between, you know, forest and plains, right? You know, if you, do you walk through like a bit of trees in the plains and that counts as a forest? It's like, oh, it's oh like, guys. You, cannot, you can never get lost or you can never start. Like, man, like, these trees are coniferous. I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Yeah, like, oh, and then oh, the, the ranger's here. abilities aren't very well described, right? It's all very you know, mechanical behind the screen sort of things. They don't, they're, they're not a very visual, uh, visually impressive class. They lack ribbons. So yeah. I think that the Marshal could definitely have a lot of interesting crunchy ribbon abilities that are maybe situational, but add a lot to the game and the feeling of playing the character. You know, something that sort of, I just was thinking about is, it would be very cool to have a class that changes entirely based on who else is in your party. And I think the Warlord would be the absolute best option for that, where maybe they get special abil- they get a special ability every time the rogue gets sneak attack damage. They can do something special to help the rogue out. Every time uh, the fighter gets off, a crit or something they can do something to help the fighter out when the barbarian rages they can do something like that out something just like capitalizing on the strengths of your party and having abilities that directly affect them based on what class they are mm-hmm. and helping them do the things they do well better would be a very very fun class to play because it, almost... it would be so different every time you played it because I was going to say, it almost reminds me of how bards have the different abilities to add their bardic inspiration to different things based on the subclass. But it'd be, I, like, I, I think you're right in that, that it'd be kind of cool to have, like, if you're in a party with a fighter, fighter's crit range now goes from 20 to 1920. Or, like, if you're in a party with a wizard, they can recall one extra spell on a short rest or something like that. Or, or you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, I do think that that's kind of a neat area that would be really cool to capitalize on. And I do think that it would be interesting to have to role play that. But I think we also, in this whole topic of things, I think we're also hinging a lot of effort on players to role play these character classes and not like just min max and like harbor on the mechanics. Cause I think a lot of this stuff you could see getting very quickly broken or right. like manipulated to, to really beefing. But 
one thing that you know anthony brought up in passing at one point was the the whole concept of the fifth character in the group where you have you know wizard cleric fighter thief plus one and i think we all kind of created a plus one character i don't think anybody in here created a new like base class we all added like one that could fit in the roster of the core classes but they definitely feel like a plus one character class. You know what I mean? They're all the fifth, you know? Yeah, and I, th- I think it that. says a lot about, you know, how well designed that 4-4 four four is. Like, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, man, cleric sucks, uh, ditch the cleric, or who would ever uh, play a fighter? I, 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 I did. I said we should get rid of boring. cleric <laughs> and add Derek. <laughs> I mean, you could make an argument that you could have clerics and wizards become just mage and just have it be that there's healing magic and then there's destructive magic. And you could say that they're all lumped in one category. You yeah, could. I think there's really something to be said for separating d- uh, divine magic and arcane magic. Sure. Yeah, sure. I, I feel like that too. I also do agree with Anthony about dropping the warlock as a good option, if only because we have so many fucking charisma casters. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I agree too. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> like, like he's eliminated. He just becomes a sorcerer. And that's how Jarzak left the podcast, boys. (laughs) The the fact that warlocks are bound to charisma and still can't use intelligence as their uh, spellcasting modifier befuddles me. Well, you know, I mean, I I think that warlocks from the get-go are kind of a strange way to, to reason to it since, you know, like sorcerers, it makes sense to use charisma. Mm. But wizards it makes sense to use intelligence but even with clerics why aren't they a charisma based character class like wouldn't they have the same reason to like is it through study that they're able to cast their spells like no so why is it about wisdom i just well, for me personally i feel like you could argue that they're a charisma based caster and that would be just fucking fine you know what i mean a priest giving a sermon casting through that sense of you know and i know in 3.5 they had the favored soul as a base class which was the charisma side of the cleric but like Fuck that noise. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense because I've always, maybe this is leaning into a different nard bite, but I've always understood wisdom as being, you know, worldliness and awareness. And it makes sense that a connection to the gods and through the gods to divine magic makes sense that it comes from your sense of worldliness and awareness. Yeah. I mean, I I suppose so, but I just feel like. I mean, the, the Warlock's connection is usually just to an evil god, so why isn't that the same? <laughs> Jarzak's the most beautiful one in the party. So you see, <laughs> you see, that's why we dropped the Warlock. The Warlock doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's one other that I would I would kind of want to add, like, a summoner-type class, but I th- feel like that would just bog down the game too much. I feel like they have a lot of, like, the Shepherd Druid and stuff, and I think Warlock has a summoner-type one, too, but it's like, they're not great. Uh, like for being a summoner and that's their job it's it's like if they're gonna do it they should just do it right yeah and that's why i feel like in most cases fifth edition has this weird ability to make everything so much slower with every new thing they add to the game and i just feel like if you house ruled summoners it would take a way quicker way to to do it you could just argue like the things there it's just one spell to cast it now join the initiative but i feel like somehow in order to correct it, they'd have to make it your actions and all this. But either way, I don't think. Yeah, we yeah just like uh, trying to ride a mount. Apparently, you have to queue up actions with yours, and then the mount goes on its turn, and it's ridiculous. 
But that's why I'm like, more often than not, as Gary Gygax said, if you use the rules as written, you're reading them wrong. And it should just be like, house rule it. Make it work for your group. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, the, the rules are guidelines. They tell you how you could do something, not how you should. But I'm afraid if I say Gygax one more time, it might Beetlejuice him into the room and I don't really want to deal with an, a, like a dirty Wisconsin man. So we're just going to drop it at that. And I think we've talked quite a bit about this topic. So... I think we're good to end it. Did anybody have any last comments on this topic or anything they want to plug? Uh, one thing we were also talking about before we started recording was the um, classes that are bound to race. Oh. And that might be its own thing. I was going to say that we, we can talk about a, later. But yeah, we, I think we, we, we have different bike. ideas on how that would be implemented. But I think we all agree that it is something that's pretty neat mm-hmm. and could be explored further. Maybe we should do another big narc bite just on race. Yeah, I think we should do that. <laughs> Which race would you eliminate in uh, the uh, in the car? Go to the pile of episodes we have to delete for uh, being really awful. <laughs> We're talking about eliminating races. <laughs> Woo! You know, being white and owning a podcast is a hell of a drug. You know, you say things, and it just always sounds terrible. You know what I mean? But on that wonderful note, anybody else got anything they want to plug so we can wash this taste out? I mentioned Spice and Wolf very briefly. Uh, if you are a big fan of, you know, offbeat medieval fantasy, uh, definitely give it a shot and you'll learn a lot about medieval economics at the same time. So, you know, yeah, give it a shot. The people who listen to the show are always like, Dan, talk more about medieval economics. <laughs> so, Anthony, you just, you just you solved the problem right there. You're giving the people what they want, and Dan was going to give them like, little sprinkles here and there. Come on. You just go and you do that, that weird, like, salt on the elbow, the salt bag guy. You just you just sprinkled Spice and Wolf on them. But, all right, well, on that note, uh, goodbye. Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.